And we're in chapter 5 of the book of Matthew, and our focus is, is on the teaching on Yeshua's first sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. You know, in an earlier lesson, I explained that the Lord, when He spoke from Mount Sinai to Israel, and Yeshua speaking from this mountain, kind of parallel each other with a major difference. At Mount Sinai, the people opted out of hearing the voice of God directly to have Moses mediate between them and God. They said, we don't want to hear God's voice any longer lest we die. So Moses, you speak to us and we'll listen. So they opted out of hearing the voice of God directly to have Moses mediate between them and God. But think about it. If they hadn't opted out, God would have continued to speak to them, speak to their hearts, show them how to live out the Ten Commandments that He had just given from the mountain. You know, let me explain this. God gave Ten Commandments from Mount Sinai. And really, as Yeshua said, we could even sum those ten up into two. He said we could sum them up into two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. The rest of the commands given after the ten are God trying to explain how to live out those ten. Or we could really say how to live out the two. You see, if God could get us to live out just the two, none of the rest would be necessary. Problem is, the two take the leading of the Spirit to live out. We can't walk them out in the flesh. The flesh must die and the leading of the Spirit must come alive in us. And after the people turn down hearing from God, He, of course, then can't speak to them any longer, so He gives them further commands through Moses because they can no longer hear His voice. Without His influence in their lives, the only alternative for Him was to give additional laws to aid them in fulfilling the Ten Commandments, or the two. Instead of the voice of the Lord, they received more laws through Moses, and then even more laws through the rabbis. So instead of the Creator's gentle hand tugging at their hearts, they get additional laws. Well, by the time we get to Yeshua, they'd receive not only God's additional laws, the 611 other commandments, but they'd also received hundreds more of man-made laws from the mediators that they'd asked to be between them and God. So many that Yeshua terms the lives of the people as being burdened with a heavy load of the Pharisees. And what Yeshua is telling us is that the Pharisees had missed the mark. They had missed the heart of God for His commandments. Instead of God's heart, they had reduced the people to slavery with a heavy load, a heavy burden of additional laws. And so with each of these teachings, He's taking us past the righteousness of the Pharisees and the laws of the Pharisees and taking us back to the heart of God in giving the command. All of this because the Pharisees had fell short of the kingdom. And now Yeshua is telling us what the people of the kingdom will look like. And here on the Sermon on the Mount, Yeshua's voice is not as fearful as God's voice was at Mount Sinai. And he continues to speak about life in the kingdom. Not only that, but think about this. After he suffers, and because he suffers, he makes a way for us to continue to hear his voice through the leading of the Spirit. 
And here on the mountain, he's explaining to them how they have been taught by the Pharisees really differs from the heart of God for loving your neighbor as yourself. Chapter 6 is no different. He does change his tone a little away from the thou shalt nots and you've heard it said, but I say to you, just to some simple advice. And the advice that Yeshua gives most often is advice about how we treat each other. You see, the kingdom of heaven is not a matter of eating and drinking. It's not a matter of clean and unclean laws. Not what to do on this day or on that day. Not which days are holy and which days are not. That's clearly outlined in the Torah. Life in the kingdom is about how we treat each other. Remember those two greatest commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Why would the second be like the first? Yeshua said the second is like the first. It's because God commands that we love one another. And when we do that, we show our love for God and how God loves us and others as well. You know, if God tells us to do something and we do not do it, we hardly love God with all of our hearts, do we? How we treat each other is so important to God because He loves each of us so much. He loves us so much that loving each other is not separable from loving Him. And Yeshua is going to next talk about giving. Our being givers. It's so important to Yeshua that really when you start to look at it, it makes up about 50% of His teachings. He focuses on this area because of our sinful nature, we're basically selfish people. You know, we're so selfish that when I think about it, I think it's a miracle that we even live together. That we can even get along. Yeshua told us at the start of the message that the disciples wouldn't be selfish, they would be giving, compassionate, peacemakers, merciful and humble. And chapter 6 is no different. Yeshua is going to further outline what that means. And that's why he says in verse 1, he says, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed... Do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets that they may get glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your charitable deed may be done in secret. Your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. And so Yeshua says that his disciples won't do things for men to see. It says, do not announce your giving with trumpets. And I've heard it taught that the charity boxes in the temple were shaped, trumpet shaped. Narrow at the top, wide at the bottom to hold the money, but narrow at the top. It's probably to prevent people from making a withdrawal. This might be why Yeshua puts it this way, because I can tell you that they didn't blow trumpets when people gave in the temple. And you can see where this would fit where someone would come up with their coins and drop them in one by one. Clink, 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 clink. Yeshua says, don't give like that. And there's another reason. There's something even more important about giving and loving your neighbor as yourself. You see, when charity, when it's done for men to see, is not charity at all. It demeans the one receiving charity. It's not easy to be down and need a hand. 
And so when you do things for men to see and they glorify you, the glory you receive is really at the expense of the one who's in need. And Yeshua says that his disciples will be so concerned for the one receiving charity that they will do their giving in a way that will be done in secret. And the Father who sees what they do in secret will reward them. Jewish traditional teachings expound on this as well, saying things like, rather than give money as charity, if possible, give the person a job so that will build their self-esteem. Now listen carefully to the next line because he just spoken of charity and the reward the Father gives those who are truly charitable. In the next verse he speaks of prayer, but he links the two with an and. Verse 5 says, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the streets, corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward, but when you pray, Go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who sees in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And so Yeshua tells us the same thing about prayer. Why? Well, because our prayer should be like our charitable deeds, in that we should pray for others. And what we pray, when we we're pray for something, we should keep it to ourselves. If we find out something about someone, if someone confides in us, we shouldn't tell others. We should just go quietly and pray about the situation. And if we start to tell others, it's like evil speech. Another thing that people do, and this is akin to that, is they lay out their dirty laundry. It always bothered me to go to a prayer meeting and have someone do this. And what they would do is they just start talking about their lives. And they're not really talking to God. They're talking to everybody at the prayer meeting. In the guise of talking to God. And they list out all their grievances against their spouse or whoever they might be angry at. They lay out all their grievances. And really, it's little more than evil speech. It's not prayer. They're just speaking evil. He says, get away by yourself. And pray somewhere where it's just you and God. Somewhere where there are no distractions, no egos, no ears, no agendas. Just you and the one who already knows your heart. The one who's the eminently fair judge. And then pour out your heart. And if you do that, he'll give you the greatest reward you'll ever receive in life. You'll, you'll have a relationship with the king. Verse 7 says, And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them. Your father already knows the things that you have need of before you ask him. I think that it's so sad that we learn to pray from others. And what it does, it replaces our own heart cry. And I don't think that's what Yeshua is doing here. He's not teaching us words to pray. And I'll explain that a little later. But think about this. I want you to think about something. In the years that you've been in church, think of all the catch words and phrases that you picked up over the years and think of how they've replaced your own words. Think about it. You know, the pagans do that. That's what Yeshua is getting at here. They pray... Say this or say that over and over until it's almost like chanting. As if their God is sleeping or hard of hearing or isn't paying attention. 
And if they say it enough times, maybe he'll hear. Let me tell you something. God doesn't want to hear catchphrases you learned from this prayer meeting or that prayer meeting or this pastor or that pastor. He wants to hear your voice. What do you think? Your words, your thoughts, your praises, your thanksgiving. I'm going to tell you something. The most powerful and effective prayer I ever said was, Jesus, I've made a mess out of my life and I need your help. No special words, no special formula. Just a cry for help. And the next morning I woke up a new person. The prayer was powerful and it was effective because first, it was spoken from the heart and second, it was the will of God because it's the will of God that all men turn to Him and turn their lives over to Him. When I teach about prayer, I tell people, you get away by yourself. Just talk to God like you talk to me or your father or your brother. And then take time to listen to the, for the answer. Don't just do all the talking. Take some time to be quiet and listen. Conversation. Pray for others. Because it's how you give of your time. It's what Yeshua is trying to teach His disciples. Listen to what He says in verse 9. In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I want you to know that this is not Yeshua teaching His disciples what the content of their prayer should be, what the words of their prayer should be. Because your prayer should be your heart's cry. He's teaching them that their prayer should be for others. Remember, love your neighbor as yourself. That's the topic of Yeshua's teaching here. And notice that He says, Our Father. Not my Father. Our Father. You see, he's teaching us to pray in the stead of others. We call that intercession. And notice the main theme of the prayer is that the Father's will be done on earth. Those things that we've been speaking of in the last couple of weeks. Imagine what a world it would be if the things that we were speaking of in the last few weeks were in the church today. Because it's just a taste of what life in the kingdom of Yeshua that he would establish will be like. Let's read just a little farther. Verse 11 says, Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And I hope you got that. Give us, forgive us, lead us, deliver us. Because it's prayers for others as well as yourself prayer that considers our oneness with one another, with each other. And it also contains God's standard for judgment. It said, remember we talked about it, measure for measure? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Debts in the Hebrew mindset is our sins. Verse 14 says, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Measure for measure. Very sobering measure for measure at that. We spoke of it a few weeks ago, that God would hold our unforgiveness against us to the degree that we fail to forgive. And if that doesn't make a forgiver out of you, I have to question your faith, your level of faith. 
And yet we see unforgiveness and bitterness in the church, and it shouldn't be so. There's evil speech in the church, it shouldn't be so. In the face of repentance, we should be quick to embrace each other, no matter what the offense. And he'll go on to another area of giving next. In verse 16, he says, Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Yeshua's discourse here is still concerning itself with giving, with loving your neighbor as yourself. And so what does fasting, what does depriving yourself have to do with giving? What does it have to do with loving your neighbor? Well, Isaiah teaches us this. In Isaiah 58 and verse 3 it says, Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting... You do as you please and exploit all your workers. And so what's going on here is they're praying and fasting and wondering why there's no answer. You know, a lot of people come to me and say, why, why doesn't my prayer answer? And there's a, there's, there's a problem with the people of God because not always what we pray for gets answered. Part of that is it might not be in God's plan so we don't receive it. We pray for things that really aren't beneficial for us. He's not going to give us those things. Sometimes we pray for people and nothing happens and we blame God, but we have to remember people have free will. God won't take that away from them. Sometimes, as in this case, in Isaiah 58, our motives aren't right. There are numerous reasons. But what the problem is right here, the problem here is that they're fasting. And as we're going to see, fasting is all about giving. It's all about loving your neighbor as yourself. Fasting, as God would have it, is no different than selling all you have and give it to the poor and then come follow me. God has a plan for us as we fast. And if we go down to verse 6, we'll find out what it is. In Isaiah 58 it says, Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen, to loosen the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wandering with shelter when you see the naked to clothe him and do not turn away from your own flesh and blood? You see, the fast that God calls us to is to make restitution for the injustices that we see. It's not enough to go around saying, woe is the world, it's filled with wickedness. Everybody sees that. But the fast, the repentance God is calling for is one of making things right in the world. Loving those with less, helping those with little. He's asking us to take the food we haven't eaten and give it to the poor. I have a plaque in my office I saw it at, this year at the Elijah's Cup during the sale. I couldn't resist. It's a quote from Rabbi Tarfun. It says, Tikkun Olam. In essence, it means repair or restore the world, the age. And then it goes on to say, Tikkun Olam, you are not obligated to complete the work, but neither are you free to abandon it. 
And that's what Yeshua is calling us to do. Whatever we can bring about as far as restoration of the kingdom in the world. Whatever we can do. He only wants us to do what we can. Fast, afflict yourself, and then give what you deny yourself to the poor. Listen to what Isaiah says in verse 9. Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and He will say, Hineni, here am I. Yeshua put it a little different. He said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. You know, people always are asking me, I, I, I come up for prayer, and people come up for prayer, and they're asking for a breakthrough in their life, some area of their life. Well, let me give you a little secret. If you want a breakthrough in your life, what you need to do is give someone else a breakthrough in their life. God who sees what you've done will repay you measure for measure and give you a breakthrough in your life. And the breakthrough you receive, we just read, is God saying, Hineni, here am I. Isaiah continues, If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with finger-pointing and malicious talk, if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in darkness. Your night will become like noonday and the Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. He will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and raise up the age-old foundations and you will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets and dwellings. See what he says? Restorer of streets and dwellings, repairer of the broken walls. As Rabbi Tarfon said, you're not obligated to complete the work, but friends, the Lord wants you to do something. We can be rebuilders, restorers of the kingdom of heaven. And no, more than likely, you won't complete it. In fact, is if we look at history and we come to the realization that more than likely you won't even see it accomplished in your lifetime. But listen, if we're faithful to give of our time and our money, if we love our neighbor as ourselves, if we seek peace and blessing in our life and the lives of others, then we'll see tikkun olam done in our own life. We'll see restoration done in our own lives. And rest assured, we'll see it done in the world to come eventually as well. And when we see it in the world to come, we're going to see what we did and what we didn't do to bring it about. That's why Yeshua says, we're back up to chapter 5 and verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city is set on a hill, cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works, your good deeds, and glorify your Father in heaven. And so the fasting God is calling us to is one where the time is spent in intercession and prayer for others and the money is spent relieving others as well. It's all about giving 
And as we're going to see in verse 19, the theme is still giving. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Yeshua is alluding to the state of decay in the world as compared to the eternal nature of the kingdom. You know, if you build up treasure in heaven by giving your wealth away in this life to those in need, if you do that, you can turn the treasure of this life into eternal treasure. I love the saying, you can't take your wealth with you, but that's not true. It's not true at all. You can take it with you, but the trick is you have to give it away in this life. Then you can take it with you. Verse 22, the lamp of the body is the eye, and therefore, if therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be filled with light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore, the light that is in you is darkness. How great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he'll hate the one and love the other, or else be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. Mammon. We have a couple of idioms here that we should probably be familiar with. That the term evil eye and good eye. If we want to understand what was being said here, we have to understand these meanings. And in rabbinic literature... And in the writings of the day, the good eye and evil eye are terms for generosity and stinginess. Let me read you a little commentary from Dr. Stern's New Testament commentary. He says, In Judaism, having a good eye means being generous. Having a bad eye means being stingy. That's the correct interpretation confirmed by the context. Greed, anxiety about money being the topic in both the preceding and following verses. You cannot serve two masters. If God tells you to give what you have to the poor to relieve the inequality in the world, if He tells you to spend your time praying for those with less and helping those who need help, but you choose to spend your time making money and figuring out ways to make more and hoard what you have, then your master is money. You've chosen to serve money. And not God. Yeshua tells us, Tikkun Olam. Just do your part to relieve the injustice of the world. Give to the poor. If we look at the first century congregation in Acts, that's what they did. They gave until all people had all things in common. And people will say to me, they'll say, you know, that was then. And this is now. You know, I always say, really? Really? So God has changed his mind? Really? You see, Yeshua says, if your light is darkness, how great is that darkness? If you think you can hoard and tikkun olam can be abandoned because of the age in which we live, the time that we live, if that's the light you teach, then how great is the darkness within you? People look at you and say, oh, look, he's a Christian. That's what Christ taught. That's how Christ taught people to live. How great is the darkness? 
And yet we hear it taught all the time. If you want to be a light to the world, you must have Yeshua at the core of what you're doing. There must be the light of the world at the core of everything you do or else you're in darkness. I want you to think about something. We've been speaking for weeks about what life in the kingdom should be. And now I want you to think, is there a community in Minnesota that looks like that? I don't know of one. So ask yourselves, where are the disciples of Yeshua? Where are the ones who know the words He speaks? Where are the ones who are living, breathing examples of Him? Is there anyone listening to His words? I mean, you know, you get sparks, you get glimmers here and there. But I don't see a community like that. If we want to be that type of community, then we have to start to live the words of Yeshua. We have to start to breathe the words of Yeshua and love each other as Yeshua loves each one of us.